During the season of Lent, we've been going through the sign of Jonah as our Lenten series for sermons and worship. And today we are uh, wrapping up that series on Jonah. Uh, and I want to go over, uh, kind of go over an overview of what we talked about in the last few weeks. We began the series of Jonah, the sign of Jonah, on Ash Wednesday. As we re- were reminded in the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were asking Jesus for a sign. Show us a sign, Jesus. Show us that you are who you say you are, that you are the Son of God. And Jesus' response was, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees and those uh, religious leaders that the only sign he would give them is the sign of Jonah. So what is the sign of Jonah? What does Jonah have to teach us? So that's what we've been looking at uh, for these last several weeks and during our season of Lent. We've been observing what, what does this, the story of Jonah have to tell us? Well, we begin the story of Jonah, of course, in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, when, when Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, that great city, and to prophesy against it. And Jonah's response to this is not to go to Nineveh. In fact, he, he does quite the opposite. He goes the other direction. He goes to Tarshish, and he boards the ship and heads that direction. He's going to flee from God. He's going to flee from this calling. He's not going to do what he's supposed to do as a prophet of God. And as he's on the ship, he encounters a storm. And the sailors on the ship are asking, what's going on with this storm? Who caused this storm to happen? And and Jonah says that this storm is my fault. He says, I'm running away from God. And so they try their best to save themselves and to save Jonah and to save the ship and and they start trying to row and and Jonah says this is going to be no use you might as well just cast me overboard and so this this prophet of God who is supposed to represent um, a decision to follow God someone who's devoted to God is is instead doing quite the opposite is is running away from God and, and disobeying God and and the the sailors on this ship are, are making vows to God now. They're honoring God. They're, they're saying, they're putting their trust in God. God, we're going to trust that if we throw this man overboard to save our own lives, that you are not going to cause any evil upon us. And, and so these sailors are representing devotion and trust and faith in God. And so, of course, they throw Jonah overboard, and, and the most popular part of this story then happens. Jonah is then swallowed by a big fish. And he's in the fish for three days and three nights. And, and inside of the fish, and in chapter 2, uh, Jonah prays from inside the fish. And, and he, he prays that he might become reconciled with God. He apologizes for his mistakes and he asks God to save his life. And, and so God does that. He, God allows the fish to spin him up on the shore. And there he is sped up on the shore. And, and God then in chapter three calls Jonah again. Go to that great city. Go 
to Nineveh and prophesy against it. And, and of course, Jonah is going to go. He's not going to disobey God another time. And so he goes to Nineveh, and, and Nineveh is described as that great city. In the chapter 3, we read that, that Nineveh was a three days journey across. That's an, an amazing large city. It was the capital city of Assyria. And as we talked about last week, we talked a little bit more about Assyria and, and what Assyria was like. Uh, Assyria was a very brutal place, a very brutal place. And, and this capital city of Assyria was, was no doubt a reflection of, of the, the entire Assyrian uh, empire. And this capital city was where the king resided. And it, it took three days to get from one side of the city to the other side of the city. And, and there Jonah, in chapter 3, we read he goes one day into the city and prophesies against it. He reads the proclamation that he has from God, or he says the proclamation from God. Only eight words, he says. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that brief, very small prophecy given on the one day of a three-day journey into the city, that just stepping foot, essentially, into the city and offering this small word of proclamation from God, the results are, are incredible. The, the king receives the proclamation and the king calls the entire city of Nineveh to repentance. And this repentance is so thorough, it even involves the animals. It even involves the livestock. Why? This is the only, the only encounter in, in ancient literature that we have of, of livestock and animals being called to repentance. Nowhere else do we read about animals being called to put on sackcloth and mourning clothes and, and to, to not eat, to fast. Individuals were called to, to keep their animals from eating during this time of repentance. And in that, the king says, and I want to read this for you. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. Essentially, he's saying God, God might see the thoroughness of our repentance. God might see that we're willing to take extreme Measures and even asking our livestock and animals to repent. And who knows? Maybe God will change his mind. And in fact, that's what God does. We read about this in the next verse. God saw what they were doing. God saw what the Ninevites were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. He reversed his course of action. He, he was going to destroy them, but because of their repentance, because of their, 
devout devotion to God and the thoroughness of their repentance, even including the animals and the livestock, God changed his mind. And this is where we picked up last week. Jonah thought that that was utterly wrong. And he says, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. This is why I fled to Tarshish, because I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you are nothing but love, nothing but compassion, nothing but mercy. And Jonah is angry with God, even to the point of death. Take my life, O God, he says again and again in this this prophecy. Jonah does not even want to live to see Nineveh and the Assyrian people being offered forgiveness, love, and mercy. And the Lord replies to Jonah, Is your anger a good thing? This is where we pick up today. I want to invite you to get your Bibles out with me and and to turn to Jonah uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Let's read this together. But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made for himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a shrub and it grew up over Jonah, providing shade for his head and and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub. But God provided a worm the next day at dawn and it attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Jonah said, Yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Lord said, You pitied the shrub, the shrub for which you didn't work for, and which you didn't raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals? May the Lord add his blessing and hearing to the reading of God's word for us today. Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the prophet Jonah. We thank you for this writing that we are able to reflect on during this season of Lent. And God, today we want to observe the sign of Jonah. Open our hearts, open our minds to what you would have us to learn and to receive. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Jonah made a shelter and wanted to see what would happen to the city. I wonder what kind of shelter Jonah made. I think that he probably made what what we would refer to as a lean-in shelter, lean-to shelter. He probably took some sticks or uh, some branches and wrapped them together in a way that would support each other. And he was probably trying to find some plant or some vegetation to cover the shelter uh, so that it would provide him some shade. But, but it, it, in fact, God provided it for him. God provided him a shrub, we read. Uh, some translations say that it was a gourd. Uh, but God provided this plant, regardless of what it was called, uh, to grow up over uh, this shelter and pr- to provide Jonah with this much-needed shade that he was hoping for. And so he builds this shelter, and, and he's hoping to sit there and just watch as he thinks God is going to bring devastation upon the Ninevites. And I, and I wonder, why is, so, is Jonah so interested in what's going to happen to this city? Well, if, if you remember last week, we talked about the Ninevites and the Assyrian people, the Assyrians being the first the first empire and the longest lasting empire and that their that their empire was was run off of of their their devastating evil that they brought to those anyone who opposed them and and even for the jewish people for the hebrew people there was a certain kind of evil that they had prepared for them they they wanted to dilute their population and and so they had taken overtaken the northern kingdom of Israel and they had forced the women to to have children with them and and as you remember last week we talked about these children and this this kind of half breed not fully Assyrian not fully Israelite these Samaritans were a people that were raised up and and so the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the Jews, had, had a lot of anger and resentment toward the Assyrian people and the Ninevites. And, and so Jonah, being one of those Israelite people, is, is going to sit there and watch this, this city of Nineveh being destroyed. And, and even in the fact that this prophecy is in the Bible... Is, it's, it's a unique book for a prophecy, is it not? It's, it's a unique writing to be listed under prophetic literature. This is more, almost more of, of, of poetry, like the book of Job. Or I, why is this book in a prophecy for the Hebrew people? Well, I would say that this book is a prophecy for the Hebrew people because it shows them what they are to do and how they are to respond even to those who've inflicted them pain and devastating evil. These Ninevites, these Assyrians, they, they have done so much destruction to Israel, and yet this prophecy from God is telling them what God is telling Jonah. I care about people. I care about people repenting. I care about reconciliation. Jonah, you cared about this little shrub, 
You cared about this little plant. I care about people. I care about people being in a right relationship with me. Even those who have done wrong to others, I care about everyone. And in fact, God even includes the animals in this reconciliation, just like the Ninevites do. God wants to reconcile all things, not just the people. God wants to reconcile even the animals. God wants to reconcile all of creation to himself. That's the thoroughness of of what God wants to do for our world, for what God has created. The animals are important to God. All of God's creation is important to God, and all of it can be reconciled with God. The season of Lent calls us into reconciliation. The season of Lent is about reconciliation. It's an opportunity we have to to become right with God and, and to become right with one another so that we can fully love God and so that we can fully love one another. The season of Lent is about asking for forgiveness from one another and loving as best as we can. I wonder who it is that you need to reconcile with during this season of Lent. I wonder who it is you need to make amends with. I wonder who it is you you need to swallow your pride and your ego and you need to say, I'm sorry for the ways in which I have hurt you. You see, we cannot, we cannot change other people. We have to change ourselves. And reconciliation is about doing our part. It's about saying, I need to be changed and transformed from the ways that I have inflicted pain or injustice, the ways that I have hurt, the ways that I have brought my anger or my resentment toward other people. You see, Jesus came to be among us. And as we remember the sign of Jonah, Jesus says, the only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah, just as As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so I will be in the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus was changed and transformed so that we can be changed and transformed. I want to read for you a writing from one of my favorite authors, Richard Rohr, in his book, Things Hidden. This is what he says. Through Jesus, we must all face the embarrassing truth that we ourselves are our primary problem. It is we who must die, not others. Our greatest temptation is to change other people instead of changing ourselves. 
Jesus allowed himself to be transformed and thus transformed others. That is the meaning of the necessary death of Jesus. In this season of Lent, we are called to ask ourselves, what in me needs to die? What in me needs to be changed and transformed so that I can fully live? In this season of separation and isolation, when we are all together in our homes, we are under a lot of pressure to get along with our, our spouses, our, our children, our grandchildren, whoever's in our homes. And in that season of, of isolation, it is easy for us to get frustrated with those who we are close to. We are together on a whole new level. And even yesterday, I found myself experiencing some bitterness and some anger in this unique time of togetherness. I thought to myself that, that my children and, and my spouse were not meeting my expectations. The, the house wasn't as clean as I thought it should be. The table wasn't cleaned off or... I'd had no place to sit, and, and I was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated at my children, thinking, why can't you clean more? I was think, getting frustrated with my wife, who, who was doing her best, and my children were doing their best. No one was setting out to, to cause me any pain or discomfort. And so I had to take a moment to check myself and to say, John, why, why are you feeling angry right now? Why is this rage building up in you right now? This is not what I wanted. I didn't want to feel this way toward my children. I didn't want to feel this way toward my wife. And so I had, to, I had to call a time out. I had to go and I had to, to sit away from them for a, for a moment. I had to be away from them for a moment. And, and I needed to pray. And I needed to say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with your mercy and your forgiveness so that I can offer the best of myself to my wife and my children. God, make me whole, make me complete, transform me, change me so that I can be the best husband, the best father I need to be in this unique time of togetherness. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that boat. I'm sure that, that many of you have also experienced that same thing that I did yesterday. Maybe the kids are getting on your nerves. Maybe your spouse is pushing your buttons 
maybe there's something that's just eating at you right now. And you need to take a time out. And you need to go to God in prayer. And you need to say to God, God, this is not about changing other people. This is about changing me. Let's pray that together this morning. God, fill me with your love so that I can be my best self. God, give me your grace to be patient and to love. This is a very unique time. And as Christians, we have the power of God's love behind us. The power of God's grace through the Holy Spirit who will give us the strength to be us, to let us be the disciples that God calls us to be. Will we join God in grace and forgiveness? Or will we be a, build a shelter like Jonah and wait and watch for people's destruction? I pray that you join me in offering God love, God's love, God's grace, and God's forgiveness. Let us go to God in prayer. Oh God, during this season of Lent, we reconcile ourselves to you. Empower, ourse- empower us to reconcile ourselves to others. Empower us to love. Empower us to patience. Empower us to generosity. Empower us to be our best selves. Transform us, O oh God. Let us die to ourselves, that we may be risen with Christ. Amen. As we say goodbye today, I want to offer you a word of peace. It is good to be with you this morning, and I look forward to our time together again. As I said earlier, I really do miss you. I miss seeing your smiling faces. I miss your hugs and your handshakes and and the conversations that we have on Sunday mornings. But as we are leaving today, I want to offer you this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.